High School Slumber Party is brought to you by the Cage Club Podcast Network. For all things Cage Club related, head on over to cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. Welcome, seniors. This is High School Slumber Party, the podcast where me and some friends look back at our teenage years through the lens of some iconic high school-centric films. I'm Brian Rodriguez, and the party's at my place this evening. But first, school is still in session, and we have some homework to chat about. This was your assignment, and I would like to see the results. Woo! Haven't said iconic in a while. Haven't opened the show up like that in a while. Haven't heard the Donnas in a while. It's senior year, guys. This is awesome. I can't believe it. Is this our final year? Who knows? Maybe I'll do the old Mike Manzi third time's charm play and pretend it's our final year. I don't know. I'm going to be doing the show as long as the good Lord allows me to. As long as my wife allows me to. And as long as I have air in my lungs, and there are more teen films, so whatever. We'll deal with the end of the year by the end of the year. Hope you already picked out your college. If not, we're here to help you. I know in real life, in real life, uh, kids usually know where they're going by their senior year. But in movies, they're always unsure. It's always unclear whether it's college, whether it's something else. They're always unclear what they're going to do next. So this year, there's going to be a lot of that, a lot of transition, a lot of changing. I'm not even sure, but I'm here to help you every step of the way. But you can help yourself by doing homework. You know the regular homework every week. It's to hit that subscribe button wherever you're listening. Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. And while you're there, give us a five-star rating or leave us a positive review. Of course, you can check out all the other old episodes of High School Slumber Party at cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. Another thing, We are still twice a week. That might change in the coming weeks, depending, but we'll always get an episode on Friday and an episode on Monday for the time being. Friday forever, Monday, who knows? Remember, Fridays are for fun, Mondays are for schoolwork, I guess. (laughs) We're still going to have a good time, though, I promise you. And while you're on that archive at cageclub.me, check out all the episodes we did this summer. Not every one of them was with Kyle, but Kyle Reinfried was a great, great co-host We rented a house on San Emilio Island. We had a great time. We talked beach party movies. We talked some other stuff. We just talked about life. Life, really. So check those out. Also, class participation is a huge part of your grade. I don't know if you've been a little bit busy lately, but you've been slacking on that, in my opinion. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, High School Slumber Party. Follow us there. Hit us up. Comment on things. Let us know what you think of the films. All right, before we get into Twin Peaks Firewalk with me, just wanted to go over some things, some more serious things. I always like to acknowledge this, but Saturday was the anniversary of 9-11, a big anniversary, the 20th anniversary. 
really, really hard day for New Yorkers like me, Americans in general, but I know in New York where the main attacks happened was a terrible day. I was actually a freshman in high school, so I remember it like it was yesterday. I remember the headache I had that day. I remember the following days. I remember how they canceled all the baseball games. I actually went to a baseball game in 9-11, Mets versus Yankees. My Mets lost, but it almost didn't matter. I say almost. It was just such an emotional experience, just being with my fellow New Yorkers. I don't know. Maybe I'm cocky, but this is the greatest city in the world. And as much as it betrays me, sometimes as much as I curse the subway system, the MTA in general, as much as I detest the crowds at times, as much as I want open spaces and want to be somewhere else so often and want to go on vacation and want to travel, COVID aside, this will always be my home. And this is always, always the place where I will come back to. Trust me, it makes you hard. It jades you. But I don't know. It's been a weird, weird 20 years. There's been so many great memories. And just one thing I always like to say, anytime they say New York is dying, New York is dead, New York will never be what it was, just know that they're lying. Just know that they're haters. Just know that they're jealous. Because New York always comes back. New York always comes back stronger. New York always comes back better. New York always comes back with new and exciting adventures. And I know that'll continue for the rest of my life. Whether I live here or not, it'll always be my home. So just want to acknowledge, you know, all the people who lost their lives. Just remember them. Remember the first responders. We just went through another crisis in this city and in this country and the world with COVID. So, you know, we love our healthcare heroes then and now. And yeah, I mean, well, again, it's been a crazy 20 years experienced a lot of loss in that 20 years, a lot of loss that day. And yeah, just want to take a moment to acknowledge that. Speaking of loss, I know our guest today, Joe Lundowski, recently experienced a loss as well. So our thoughts and prayers are with him in this moment. He recorded this before that loss, but uh, just wanted to give him a shout out. He's the godfather of this network. We wouldn't be here if it wasn't for him. So shout out to Joe. Whoa, whoa. You're seniors. You should know this by now. The bell doesn't dismiss you. I dismiss you. No exceptions. Yes, I'm annoyed at the bell as well. I don't remember it being that loud, but (laughs) we got a show to do. One more thing about this episode. We get into a lot of uh, what might be triggering conversations regarding, you know, stuff that happens in the movie. If you know the movie, you probably know what we're talking about. If not, you know, just a warning. It might not be for you. David Lynch can get pretty graphic, as you probably know, regardless if you're a Twin Peaks fan or not. And yeah, if you are a Twin Peaks fan, and we didn't do a good enough job, apologies. I'm not a super fan. Joey is well-versed. I don't think he would call himself a super fan, but he's certainly a fan. And I think we do a good job, to be honest with you. I think it's a really, really fun episode. But if you don't like it, if you don't agree, I already told you where to find me on social media. (laughs) Anyway. It's been a long time coming to say this, tell you that much. A long time coming. Pack your favorite jammies. Tell your mother to me at Brian's. Because we're about to get our party on. I leave you with the theme to Twin Peaks Firewalk with me. Which of course is the film we're talking today. We're not talking the TV show. Well, we'll talk a lot of the TV show, so I can't really say that. But <laughs> the theme to Firewalk with me. 
Class dismissed. I feel like it's been a while, but, uh, you know, you're opening up our senior year, so... Ooh! I've returned to the mainland, back at school, you know, doing my thing, and happy to have you back. How was your summer, I guess? It was good. I just just checked. I I was here for the yearbook special, as I always am, but I haven't done a proper episode since Nerve in February. Is that possible? Wow. You've made yourself very exclusive. Amen. (laughs) Very exclusive. But today's going to be an interesting one. I don't know if it's going to satisfy the diehards, because we're talking about something that has a lot of diehards. I hope it does. I hope we do a good job. You know, I'll be leaning on you more at that. But we're talking Twin Peaks Firewalk with me, which is the Twin Peaks movie. Um, but before that, Joey, we're, we got to do it. We, we're back to formalities here in High School Slumber Party. Reintroduce yourself, since it's been so long. Joey Lewandowski, 100 Central Regional High School Class of 2006, Go Red Devils. So, I mentioned you have a very, you know, exclusive availability when it comes to guesting on at least this pod, but other pods, I'm sure, I'm sure. Nobody asks me anymore, I don't know why. (laughs) But uh, you do have a list of films that you definitely have wanted to do here, this being one of them that... Uh, the Korean film, I think, is another one. Yeah, or bad, t- uh, no, it's Thai. Thai, it's Thai. Bad Thai, genius. Right, yes. Yeah, yes. Bad genius. Why uh, Twin Peaks? Firewalk with me. And what's your history with Twin Peaks? So my history of Twin Peaks, I watched it for the first time, most of it, with friend of the show and fellow Cage Club Podcast Network host, even though her show is on hiatus, Jordan Paul and Clark. We watched it after college. Um, and then we never finished it. And then, like, a year later, I'm like, are we ever going to finish it? She's like, oh, I did. And I was like, oh, okay. So I'll <laughs> watch it myself. And then just recently, I, I rewatched the entire thing. And now I'm watching The Return, which is connected and, like, actually very connected, just not at all tied into really this. It's separate altogether. Whatever. So I've seen the show two and a half-ish times, I think, in its entirety, which, you know, compared to super fans is kind of nothing. Um, but I've always been a big David Lynch fan. I'm currently re-watching his movies, and just, like, coincidentally, basically the same weekend that I was going to finish the series, uh, the movie was I was going to watch. I had sort of, like, scheduled myself to watch the movie. Um, and I was like, oh. And then I was like, oh, wait a minute. This is actually a high school thing, so let's do it on the show with Brian. I don't know what Brian's history of Twin Peaks is, but let's do it over there. And so here we are. Yeah, uh, and full disclosure for me, I'm not a Twin Peaks guy, but that doesn't mean I hate Twin Peaks. I I like Twin Peaks. I just, I saw it once, uh, the first two seasons, obviously, in college. Um, I I never watched the movie, and I really wasn't intently watching, or maybe even didn't have, it sounds snobby, but maybe didn't have, like, the film education yet to really pay attention, if that makes sense, you know? Sure. I think I, I was more watching for fun, which is fine, right? Like, you could do that, too. But I feel like Twin Peaks fans, or the ones I've encountered, have a big attention to detail when it comes to this show, you know? What's what's sort of weird about it is that there's a lot of it. It's also kind of 
divisive in ways because like there's a real sort of rocky history with David Lynch and this show because he was involved for most of the or most if not all of the first season and then for the second season he went to make Wild at Heart which starred Nicolas Cage which we've covered here on the network a couple times but while that's going on the network was like we want you because the whole show was predicated around the mystery who killed Laura Palmer or like that's how it was marketed that's like what people know whatever Um, the movie we're talking about today Fire Walk With Me is a prequel, but kind of just makes more sense after you've seen the entire show. Like, you could, I think, enter the series and the and the, the world with this movie, but I don't know that it really works that way. It doesn't. I'll tell you that up front, because uh, I uh, had zero... Like, I didn't really have a lot of memory of Twin Peaks. Sure. I'm familiar with, like, the fun stuff and the things that have entered pop culture, but... I tried to watch this movie just kind of cold turkey, kind of because I wanted to enter the way you're saying. I wanted to be like, imagine I never saw Star Wars or sure, yeah, I never yeah. saw, you know what I mean? And I did it and I was just like, I was I was not having it. I kind of did some research, kind of refreshed things a little bit, watched it again and I had a better time watching it. Didn't mean to cut you off, but. No, no, no. That's it. Because like it does come first, but it was released later and it. Like, I think half of it maybe you could understand, but it is all predicate. Because, like, the show is around who killed Laura Palmer because of the, the first scene in the first episode. A dead body washes up on, like, a, a lake shore, mm-hmm. and it's, you know, homecoming queen Laura Palmer, and they try to figure out who killed her, right? And that's the show. And according to, you know, David Lynch and Mark Frost, who co-created the show, like, they didn't want to tell people for a long time. Like, they they wanted to create this world and tell it in a soap opera story sort of way where – you would still want to know what you'd be more concerned. You'd care more about the characters and the people in this town than the central mystery. And so then eventually you would find out, you'd be like, oh, okay. But like, I, I'm, I'm more into the world. And so ABC was like, you need to tell, we need, we need answers because we need like people to know. And so like kind of early on in season two, they reveal who killed Laura Palmer, which spoiler, I mean, like this is, there's no, I don't think there's any way to listen to this episode without spoiling like most, if not all of Twin Peaks. But uh, you find out sort of early on that her father killed her, but he was inhabited by the spirit of this guy, this creature, this being, this entity, Bob, um, who is, you know, most often portrayed by the guy here with the long hair that kind of looks like a wolf a little bit, uh, who actually was just like a set dresser who wasn't actually okay. cast in it. It was like, there's a whole cool backstory there, which Twin Peaks people know about. And if you don't, you might not care. Um, so I won't go into detail there. But the real sadness and the the misery of both the series and this movie, because this movie is unrelentingly bleak. Like this is maybe one of the most downer of a movie <laughs> that I've ever seen because it's in this movie that Laura realizes that this thing, this person, this creature, whatever, that's been molesting her, like raping her and like just absolutely horrific for like six or seven or eight years was her father. And, like, I don't, she didn't realize that until this movie. And then you see in this movie, like, her realization that Bob is in Leland, in her father, and it's just horrific. So, anyway, early in season two, they're like, Leland killed her. And they're like, all right, n- n- now what are you going to do? And so then they kind of, like, amble, and they like they, there's a whole, like, Civil War reenactment subplot, and there's all these different things, and, like... It's more about just, like, hanging out with these characters and having a good time, kind of. But the second season is, like, very long and kind of aimless at certain times. And that's also while David Lynch is off making Wild at Heart. And 
he's like, you know, helping when he can and giving notes on scripts and like watching dailies and stuff like that. But like, he's not really as involved as he was in season one. He comes back at the end of season two. And then by that point, they had just been like, we, we're not going to, we're not going to back for season three. But so at this time, you know, but Twin Peaks is like a phenomenon and people love this mm-hmm. show and it's a, it's a, it's a hit and people are watching it. And then Wild at Heart in Cannes is like a huge, you know, it's a huge success and it's beloved. And so he's like riding high and like he's never been more successful. And the thing he decides to follow that up with is Fire Walk With Me. And he brings that to Cannes and it is panned. In only a year between the the show ending and this movie coming out, people had moved on. They didn't care anymore. They were like, this is not the story that I wanted to see. I don't care about this. This is too dark. This is too bleak. And it really kind of derailed his career. And he would only make... You know, he he makes Lost Highway like five or six years later, but like there's a long time before he like kind of gets back because this this movie was so poorly received in, in a few different ways that it just it, it upended everything. And now, you know, fans and everybody like it and especially given like five or six years ago, maybe like around 2014, 2015 ish. There was an extra 90 minutes of deleted scenes and extended scenes called The Missing Pieces that came out and that turns this movie into like from a two hour and 15 minute thing to like three hours and 45 minutes or something and that adds more context and more adds more background and more characters people like and i think that it adds a kind of a more comprehensive fuller picture but yeah this movie is um it's an interesting one yeah that's for sure a lot to say about what you just said every week of course i read the back of a dvd and as this is a uh, sort of a complicated film very important today so here goes in this compelling film prequel to the phenomenal TV series, director David Lynch takes us to the town of damn good coffee and cherry pie. Not a lot of that in here, but okay. (laughs) Two federal agents arrive in Twin Peaks and unravel the bizarre clues, mysterious appearances, and strange happenings that lead to the death of local girl Laura Palmer. And that's it. So, not a big one here. Never mind. That doesn't really clarify much. (laughs) (laughs) How would you describe David Lynch's filmmaking um for let's say someone's listening today to high school slumber party who has no idea like who david lynch is well so i think the word that everybody would go to is weird like people think it's weird for just the sake of being weird right and i think a lot of people try to be lynchian which is now more of an accepted term or like twin peaksian mm-hmm. by just being like oh there's like a dream sequence and like there's a guy talking backwards like isn't this weird it's like well you know, yeah, there's there's more to it than that I think a lot of it is surreal and dreamlike and absurd and sometimes hyper-violent, but also, like, funny with, like, heart and empathy and characters you care about. Um, like, his first movie is Eraserhead, which is a, a, a wonder, an amazing movie, especially considering it's his first movie. Really, really good. And it's kind of a metaphor about how he was afraid to be a father. But, like, you watch that, and, like, without knowing that context, you're like, I don't know what the fuck is going on in this movie. <laughs> And then, you know, he's made a lot of other – like, Blue Velvet is sort of straightforward but kind of weird and very dark. And then there's this, and Lost Highway's weird, and Mulholland Drive is weird, and How about Inland Dune? Empire. Dune is, like, the new one came out, right? Yeah, so, coming Dune, out. so after he does Eraserhead, he does The Elephant Man, which is as sort of normal 
as yeah. he gets, even the though there was kind of a weird dream-like sort of thing at the beginning and the end. But, like, for the most of it, it's just – it's sort of straightforward and logical and, like, a quote-unquote normal movie. And then he does Dune, and Dune tanks now that there's, you know, Villeneuve's going to do it in the October, November, whenever it's coming out. He's got other things. Like he has this movie from 2000 called The Straight Story, uh, which I think is rated G. And it's like a Disney movie about a guy riding across country on his tractor to get to his ailing brother. And like he's able to do straightforward and, – and Wild at Heart, for that matter, is a very straightforward narrative yeah. linear movie. I mean it's filled with hyperviolence and insane things, insane performances and like a Wizard of Oz metaphor and just like all sorts of craziness. But like the narrative of that is very easy to follow. And I think – he has this reputation of just being like, oh, he's just so weird, man. It's like, well, yeah, but like he's doing it for a purpose and he has a story and he has a vision. And I think more than anything else, he makes you feel a certain way. And I think it's like unsettling. And I think he he aims to sort of shake up what you expect in a movie or a narrative. And there's not really a great way to describe his filmmaking to bring back to the question, but that's kind of what it is. No, I think you did a good job of like summing it up. Um, and there's... I don't want to say so many copycats, but there's certainly a lot of people who, like you said, Lynchian-influenced people. Galen Howard, who was a guest of this show, brought us a film uh, by Greg Araki, who was a director. Sure, yeah. And I, I see a lot of that in here, but we don't get a lot of these kind of films on, on High School Slumber Party, so that's why I kind of um, had to bring it up. Well, I mean, it's the same kind of thing where, like, when Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction take the world by storm in the early 90s and kind of revolutionize to a certain extent or help revolutionize indie cinema, everybody's like, oh, I want to do what he's doing. Like, you could just, like, have cool criminals that, like, say a lot of swear words and it's really violent. And it's like, well, <laughs> you're not really getting at the heart of, like, what makes Tarantino Tarantino. And so, like, there's, like, a knockoff for, like, a decade or more of just, like, shitty Tarantino wannabes, right? And so whenever there's somebody who comes in with a unique take or fresh vision or whatever – People are just like, oh, I want to do that thing. And they, they, in kind of typical Hollywood sense, like, miss the point of what makes it special. Like, Tarantino is a way to writing dialogue and, again, making you feel a certain way that other people can't do. And it's not about just, like, oh, they're a good-looking criminal in, like, sunglasses, like, saying swears. It's like, well, there's there's more to it, right? So it's knockoffs and everything. So, But, yeah, I think Greg Araki is maybe a – Sort of a even more indie art house version of David Lynch in a way, but not nearly as successful or known, I don't think, right? Yeah, for sure, for sure. There's another thing interesting, too, about this time period that echoes exactly what you're saying, Joey. Like this late 80s, early 90s era had Tarantino doing his thing and getting copied, David Lynch. But think about music, right? Like grunge lasted only a couple years. Sure. And then, uh, you know, Cobain, of course, dies or whatever. I'm not saying grunge ended there, but we eventually get things like Creed that come from grunge that are yeah. like nothing, mm-hmm. nothing like that. I don't know. I don't know what it was about that time, but it certainly, certainly carries over in many, uh, many an art form. And it's something that I think today, or let's just say over the last couple of years, has been glorified more than ever. Like when that uh, third season of Twin Peaks came out. It was like everybody was a Twin Peaks fan. It's like, if that was the case at the time, I know people, different ages, obviously. Right. But if that was the case at the time, it would have probably ran for 10 seasons. Who knows, you know? <laughs> and the return is fascinating because the return is kind of better than the, the, the original series or the movie. Like, the return is great. Like, way better than I thought it ever would have been. And yet, it's also, like, 
almost once again impossible to permeate. Like it's so difficult to get into that I'm sure a lot of people are like either if they you know maybe like you like I oh I saw Twin Peaks in college or I saw it was on TV or whatever like I can jump back in or people who want to be like that are like oh I never saw it, but like let me see what's up like the first episode the heart and soul of the show is Kyle MacLachlan as uh, FBI agent Dale Cooper right like he's mm-hmm. the lifeblood of the show. And he's barely in the movie because the movie's a prequel. He's in the movie a little bit. But then in the series, in in the return, the actor's in it. Kyle MacLachlan's in it. But Coop is in a coma because at the end of season two, he gets inhabited. Again, spoilers. But, you know, again, spoilers. Uh, <laughs> he's inhabited by the spirit of Bob and, like, he's in a coma and whatever. But, like, there's different Kyle MacLachlan's, Kyle's MacLachlan, Attorney General, <laughs> where he's – playing like a, a villain he's playing like a, a simple man he's also coop in a coma like it's just it's like we're giving you the things that you want and you like about twin peaks but they're also going to be filled with like people you don't know and don't really know why you should care about them and like it's very difficult to parse and i think it's rewarding and amazing but i also understand that like why a lot of people would hate that right but yeah it's it seemed like it was a big deal. I think just because it was so encapsulated in these two or three years, right? Like, cause like Twin Peaks, like 90 to 91 or whatever. And this movie comes out in 92 and until 2016, you know, 25 years later, as Laura teases at the end of the series, like there's nothing like, it's not like they had been like knocked off or like, Oh, like, you know, let's just do another Spider-Man movie to keep the rights or whatever. Right. It's just like it existed in these three years and now it's back and people are like, Oh God. Okay, cool. Yeah. So fascinating. And then you have the something you mentioned too that I want to touch on. You have the the people who, during that time period or maybe right before the series, tried to get into it. Like my wife being one of them, for example. That's how I caught a lot of episodes somewhat recently. She's like, okay. "Oh, I know the new series is coming out. I kind of want to watch this. I have no idea what it's about." And she was like getting into it. I think she really liked season one. And then she quit, like, midway in season two. She's like, I'm just out. I think that's normal and fair. (laughs) Yeah, so weird. This is just a show and just, you know, with a movie and a world that, yes, is weird on the inside, but also kind of weird on the outside in terms of, like, all these weird production notes and stuff. Sure. It's it's not easy. Like, getting into Twin Peaks is not easy. It's not like just jumping into Friends or something, you know? No. (laughs) <laughs> well, and I think like for a while before we watched just, you know, the summer, I was I would say that like I like the idea of Twin Peaks more than I like Twin Peaks because there's a lot of it that's just not good. So there's another thing. So two fan edits. So I said I mentioned before there's the missing pieces, which is on the available on the Criterion. It's also in the box set, and whatever. And it just but it's not cut in. It's just separate. But I think if David Lynch had his way, it would have been like a four hour movie, which, again, you, you kind of can't do even if you're him, whatever, because uh, you still have to adhere to. I don't know, society, right? Like movie structure, whatever. But someone has taken those scenes and I haven't seen it in chronological order, but like they put together like the four hour version as such. And I don't know if you can find it anymore. It was like, it was one of those things was like, I can't like, he's not, he wasn't selling it, but it's just like, I can't really make money on this. I can't really distribute it because it's not my thing, but like, here's what it could have been. Right. But then somebody else, I think maybe the same guy even took the entire series, which is, you know, 30 episodes and probably, 22 23 24 hours and condense that down to six hours and i have that too i've not watched that yet but i I wonder if like that's a more approachable like i don't i don't know what you keep and what you cut because like so much of it you can cut but also it kind of just adds to things right so i don't it's it's tough because it all 
So like on, on second watch, like knowing that it was going to be a little underwhelming, you're able to sort of like lower your expectations and just kind of enjoy the things that you do like and the characters and the performances and the relationships and everything like that and just be like, oh yeah, I'm not going to worry about the Civil War thing or whatever, right? So I don't know. It's fun to talk about. I don't know how linear we can go with our conversation on the film today, but you know, we, we'll see how it goes. We kind of already got into the production here. In terms of the cast, a lot of people are back. Not everybody is back, right? Like, most notably, Moira Kelly. Yeah, replaces Laura Flynn Boyle. As Laura Flynn Boyle. Yeah. yeah, and I think she does a really good job, so it's not... I mean, it, I, she does, and it, it's just weird that you watch Donna, who, like, you know, outside of Cooper, the show is really an ensemble. And even with him in the... like, it's, it, you, 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 There's so many scenes with just, like, two characters that, like, are not by any means the star, right? It's just, like, this is, like, an ensemble. It's about the town. Mm-hmm. And so Donna's not the star, like Laura Flynn Boyle's not the star of the show, but she's in a lot and she's good. And I, I don't remember, do you have why she was recast and she, could she not do it? Because I don't, I don't think that he would have just recast her, but like, well, it's jarring to see someone else in a role, especially because like in the movie, she's like one of the stars of the movie. Yeah. So the people who didn't reprise their roles, there were a couple, but most notably her and what's her name? Her character's not even in the movie. Audrey? Sherilyn Finn? Yeah, Sherilyn Finn, um, not in the film. And Kyle MacLachlan did not want to be in the film at all. That's why his role was so reduced, because they finally like agreed to it. But in separate interviews, all three of them have said separate things. Almost every one of them has said there were scheduling conflicts. And if you look at the timeline, that's true. However, you know if they wanted to be in the movie, they would have figured it out somehow. And in other interviews, they've said like they were just so disappointed with how season two went and David Lynch like coming in and out of it that they just did not have the stomach for it. Right. You know, Kyle McLaughlin particularly he said he didn't want to be typecast in that role. He's even admitted to mailing it in in that season, essentially. Like he just did not care or want to be there in certain episodes, which is hilarious to me because um, he's such like a hero in the Twin Peaks world. Sure. So I'm also reading there's this there's like 300 page book of interviews that David Lynch gave this one guy and then they're just compiled over time or whatever and they were broken into chapters about each movie. And so I've been reading that along and I got to the Twin Peaks one. And they were talking about that kind of thing where, you know, you have all these young actors at the start of their careers, basically, and on one of the most popular shows on TV. And then the creator's not really there and the show is kind of getting aimless. And they're like, I kind of want to do like movies and stuff. Like, I I, I want to be here. Like, I want to honor the contract. Like, I also kind of don't want to be here. And so I don't think it's, you know, weird that that is the case. And it's, you know, unfortunate, but just kind of the way it goes i don't know because especially it, it the show that it ends up being is not the show that it started as right in in many different ways which is kind of all the all the more remarkable why like for the return like everybody comes back like yeah. almost everybody to a person and you know a couple people have passed away and so they have like kind of loving tributes or replacements or whatever but like it's amazing how given the the apathy maybe in season two Everybody, like, way later was like, no, I still want to do this for him and still want to do this for the show and I want to return because it means something to me. So I think it's just it's it's of the moment where it it's just an unfortunate kind of turn of events, right? Yeah, and I don't think that people at the time, how could they, right? Like, imagine what kind of nostalgia mode slash streaming mode we'd be in today. So when a show would go off the rails, it's kind of like, well, this is dead. No one's going to remember this. 
whatever, you know? And by the time the new one came out, it had been such a cult classic that it's like, fuck. And, like, if you're Laura Flynn Boyle, for example, what are you doing? You know? what? Yeah. I'm, I'm, like, dissing her or whatever. She could do whatever she wants, but... She wasn't like the Justin Timberlake of NSYNC, right? Like, oh, I have my own career, F you guys kind of thing. Like, they were all in a good place. If you look at the cast top to bottom, there's really ended up being no super A-listers. You know, I guess Heather Graham for a moment. But yeah, she wasn't but even, she wasn't even in the barely new one, right? in the show, yeah. She yeah. comes in like the last like four or five episodes. But yeah, I mean like in terms of people who become things, like they're all – I think they all – I actually don't know. Like I don't know if a lot of people – I'm sure they all kind of continued acting, especially like – so, like, David Lynch has a tendency to cast just young, beautiful women, which, you know, God bless him, right? But, like, they're all playing, like, you know, uh, Imagine Amick, who plays Shelley, goes and does, like, a Stephen King movie. And, like, Sherilyn Fenn does and goes and does things. And, like, they're all, like, attractive and popular and good enough actors and whatever. But, like, I don't know that any of them really – like, other than Kyle MacLachlan and, to your point, Heather Graham, I don't know where they all kind of go. So, I think they're – they're in a way typecast, right? Because it's all like, you know, you said Kyle McLaughlin didn't want to be typecast, but like they're all just like, oh, I know, like, oh, you're you're Laura Palmer. It's like, well, I'm more than that. Or they'll they'll pop up in like, because like Cheryl Lee, who plays Laura Palmer, is also Glenda the Good Witch in Wild at Heart. Or like Grace Zabriskie comes up in a bunch of different things in David Lynch's movie. So like he'll reuse actors, but I don't know where a lot of them go because they're successful, I would imagine, but not wildly so. Yeah. I think also, like, diving into this kind of thing, like, this kind of material, when it's on, when it's right, is probably very, like, taxing, you know what I mean? Sure. You're, it's not like, again, I'm using Friends as an example, I'm not like, ooh, a wacky thing happened to Ross today, you know? And again, I'm not saying that's easy. There's an art to that as well. But this feels like it's super, like, you're not going to get it on the first read of the script. Right. Yeah, no, and I think, like, Friends, and again, not to undercut Friends, but, like, Friends is specifically and carefully designed to be approachable in every way, yes, right? Yes. It's like it's as called a, Friends, for God's sake. Yes, yeah. as an actor, as a viewer, whatever. It's like we're making this show specifically so that you can pop in at any point. And this, like, you kind of can, but you kind of can't because, like, there's entire episodes where it's like, I don't know what's going on, really. And, like, even if you're watching the show, it's like, I don't really need to see this episode, but at the same time... You kind of do like you. You have the the share like you can kind of pick up right on like even if you've never seen an episode of Friends, you'll know by the end of an episode of Friends like kind of who their characters are. And here you you kind of might, but you also probably don't. Yeah, no, <laughs> absolutely. And that's what's just so fascinating about this world. And it's almost like an underdog in that sense too. It's like I question like how is it so successful? And not in a dissing way, but it just again, it's not designed like Friends to catch you in a moment and, and jump on. I did have a question before we yeah. do dive in any further. Just to help me out, since you just did a rewatch, what in this film, if you were a Twin Peaks viewer of season one and season two, then you went to the theater to watch this film, mm-hmm. what in this film would you have discovered or been surprised by? Well, so, okay. So here's, I guess, the the transition into the movie is that in the show, the show is about who killed Laura Palmer. And they find out quickly that, like, she was killed in this, like, boxcar or whatever. And there's another woman there, Ronette Pulaski, and there's, like, this kind of, like, insidious – and you don't know – I don't think the specifics, but, like, drug use and prostitution and, like, the whole thing is just ju- juxtaposing, like, high class kind of with, like – because she's the homecoming queen. She's mm-hmm. beautiful, right? She's Miss Popularity. Everybody loves her with, like, the seedy underbelly of this seemingly normal town. And so you learn from the very 
beginning that there is a criminal undercurrent in here. And so there's Ronette Pulaski who survives. She kind of like wobbles off and like goes into a coma and then like wakes up and is kind of terrorized. But there's also they, – they reference Teresa Banks who had been a previous case and like the same killer or something or like there's relation there. Like there's, you know, similar clues. And so it's it's kind of filling in the gaps of people that you knew. Coop mentions former partners of his and other FBI agents. And sort of, you sort of see those people here. The Chris Isaac character is kind of new, I think. The David Bowie character is largely new. I think you might have heard about him a little bit. But it's kind of filling in backstory. And then this whole movie takes place in like these seven days leading up to her death. And so there's some flashbacks in the, in the, in the main series. You know, they wrote The Secret Diary of Laura Palmer that Charlie actually did the audiobook for. Like, there's stuff that you're kind of filling in the gaps here, but this is, it's it's answering questions that I don't know that a lot of people necessarily had. Because I think there is merit or value in trying to see Laura as, like, this totem of, like, innocence and purity and beauty, right? And then you you unravel that in the show, like, oh, no, she, like did cocaine a bunch and was like maybe doing prostitution stuff or whatever, right? And then here it's like, we're going to show you everything. It's like, well, I kind of didn't need to see that, but also like, it's horrific, right? So it's it's filling in gaps. It's answering questions. It's like things that they allude to and reference and that are tied to the narrative. They're just showing you here and kind of going beyond that as well. So I guess my next question to piggyback on that is, and this is a loaded question, but is it necessary, like, to the Twin Peaks story? Or do you think you could theoretically, someone could just skip to the new third season or whatever? That's a very interesting question. I don't know. I mean, I don't know how much of anything is necessary. Because it is a prequel, and the new series doesn't really reflect back on this at all, from what I remember. I've only seen the new series once in a couple episodes now, so I'm not, I'm not like, as fresh on that as I am on the rest of the stuff. What's interesting about the missing pieces is that there are some scenes after, so like this is all the prequel, but then there's like a, a lower third that's like some months later, and there's stuff about Annie going to the hospital and like worrying about Coop, and then Coop in the bathroom at the end of the series like extended that. So that kind of adds a little bit there, but that's not what you see. Like if you go to the movie theater or if you watch this movie before like 2014 or whatever, it's a different thing entirely. Like, I think it just adds more context and more feel to the town so i don't know that it's necessary but i think that people if you're watching the original series and you're gonna watch the new series i don't think there's any reason to skip this yeah i mean because that's what it felt like to me watching and especially watching it twice that it was more like hey if you like twin peaks you're gonna like this because you're gonna get you know some of your questions are gonna be answered and um you're gonna finally see what exactly happened but there's not like a big reveal in this movie or anything like that, except the fact that we it's revealed in front of our eyes, if that makes sense. Right. Yeah. And I think it I think what it does is it kind of adds more context to the way that characters interact. So the other thing to keep in mind is that everybody in the show is having everybody in the town seems to be having an affair. Like everybody has a, a boyfriend or girlfriend and they're all or like a husband, wife, whatever. <laughs> and they're all sleeping with somebody else too. So like Laura is with Bobby to the world, but is secretly sleeping with James. And then Donna is with Mike. Mike's the man, but or kind of, maybe, unclear. But then in the show, Mike's not really with Donna. And maybe that's a, a post-death thing or who knows, whatever. But then 
Donna starts with James, who like because they both loved Laura, they connect, and it's like it's this whole like it's more spider webbing of characters and the way that they interact with one another. And again, the missing pieces add stuff, add some nice scenes, and just add some more you know flavor and background to the town. But yeah, I don't know. I think you're just you're just learning more. You want to spend more time in Twin Peaks because when it's not this unrelentingly bleak, it's kind of like a nice town to spend time in. Yeah, and like, uh, again, I love the high schoolers. I love the high school elements, obviously from this show, but it is, you know, weird. Everyone hates James. I learned that from the internet. That James Really? Is, okay. Yeah, well, I mean, oh. he, he does screw Donna over. He just leaves. He's like, I'm going to go leave. And he, like, sleeps with this old woman for a while and, like, fixes her car and then gets set up or whatever and then he drives <laughs> off. It's – he's very – cute with them because then also laura 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 palmer's cousin maddie is also played by cheryl lee and like the three of them like they're they've got this love triangle so i can see why people hate james but also you know i get it okay yeah i don't know that's just, <laughs> that's just no 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 it's, it's fair background <laughs> yeah so let's talk about the movie then or whatever you want to talk about i know again it's hard to go scene by scene and the first what half hour does not take place in twin peaks and is uh, that's like the Chris Isaac, Kiefer Sutherland part. Yeah. Chet, good to see you. Gordon. Chet, give Sam Stanley the glad hand. He's come over from Spokane. It's a pleasure. I've heard a lot about you. Sam's the man who cracked the Whitman case. Congratulations. I heard about that. Chet, your surprise. Her name is Lil. She's my mother's sister's girl. Bedroom. Good luck, Chet. Sam, you stick with Chet. He's got his own M.O. Modus operandi. You fellas can reach me in the Philadelphia offices. I'm flying out today. really was something with the dancing girl, wasn't it? What exactly did that mean? I'll explain it to you. Remember Lil's wearing a sour face. What do you mean? Her face had a sour look on it. We're gonna have problems with the local authorities. I'm not gonna be receptive to the FBI. Both eyes blinking means trouble higher up. The eye is the local authority. Sheriff and a deputy be my guess. You notice she had one hand in her pocket, which means they're hiding something. And the other hand made into a fist, which means they're gonna be belligerent. Lil was walking in place, which means there's gonna be a lot of legwork involved. Anything from that you wanted to touch on? I mean, Chris Isaac is a, a connection to the network because he, the movie, the song Wicked Game is, in, I think, in three Nicolas Cage movies. Really? I think David Lynch directed the music video for Wicked Game. So he's got this uh, history with Chris Isaac. That makes sense. I think what's nice about this opening stuff is that it's important to the overall mystery that this movie is telling. And they feel of a kind with the characters in the world and the, F, the way that David Lynch is portraying the FBI and they're investigating the Teresa Banks thing and whatever. I also kind of like seeing Kiefer Sutherland. I don't know how better to describe it than just like kind of being cute and weird. Like he's yeah, just, right? he's, you know, he, I think of him as like, I think most people, I think of him as like Jack Bauer, like action star. And here he's just kind of like a, 
a pencil pushing numbers guy with like a bow tie and it's just like oh okay yeah yeah he, he was one of the highlights for me i don't know i wish we even got more of him i, I actually enjoyed that performance on high school slumber party we know him from the lost boys of course uh, but such a different like yeah he's just like a nerdy kind of point dexter-y fbi agent i loved it again like so twin peaks the return most of the first episode takes place like in new york and it's like wait what what <laughs> wait where why where are we and then here it's like oh yeah we're not gonna actually go to twin peaks and then when we actually hit twin peaks and we hear like the, the music swell you're like okay this is what i came for but i do think there's something fun but frustrating about david lynch like sort of delaying gratification and i think that it's all it all makes sense within his world and within the narrative, but it's like, my God, can't we just like, can't we just spend time in Twin Peaks? It's like, no, like we got to do this first because this is important. I wonder if uh, originally Kyle MacLachlan's character was just going to pursue that kind of stuff there because if he had an expanded role, I was wondering like where it would have been. Who the hell knows? But I mean, it kind of makes sense that he doesn't because it's like, you know, there's a bunch of FBI agents, right? And so it doesn't make sense for the same guy to be on all these murders or whatever, Fair. right? Like, I think it's an easy way to dispel it. I don't know if, you know, it's also an, an easy way to be like, oh, yeah, like, let's get him in there. But it's also like, oh, there's just a bunch of FBI agents, even in this office. So I w- actually didn't hate this opening. I kind of was enjoying, like, this little, this kind of noir thing that felt like it was set in the Twin Peaks universe, but yeah. not necessarily Twin Peaks. Um, I didn't mind arriving in Twin Peaks, obviously, but I don't know. I could have I could have had that as the whole movie. As well, because it's, it's approachable, right? Like, you don't need the 30 hours or whatever, the 25 hours of history with the show to understand what's going on here. Like, you might get a little bit more context and know kind of where things are going, but, like, you don't need it. It's a sort of, to compare, like, I do everything to Fast and Furious, like, you see F9, like, if F9 is your first Fast and Furious movie, it starts in a flashback. And so if you know the movies inside and out, like, you'll know when they reference Kenny Linder, like, what's coming, right? Or you'll know that, like, Dom's dad dies on the track or whatever, but you don't need that context to understand what you're seeing in front of you. And then once we leave that, it's like, oh, well, now I kind of need history here because I, I don't know what's going on. But I think the same thing here. Like, it's it makes sense to bring in an audience that is probably largely already fans, but not entirely, and be like, okay, so here's something that everybody can kind of, you know, they're on equal footing. Uh, maybe you have a little bit more history with, like, character names or characters or whatever, but if, this is something new for everybody, and then we're going to, like ease you into the stuff that like you might need a little bit of homework for yeah and i thought that was like largely successful so you know i applaud the movie in that respect and i also did once we jumped to twin peaks i also think it did a good job of reminding us who kind of everyone is or at least everyone who everyone was at the time of this i could i know there's a little bit of i don't want to use the word fan service that's overused but there's a little bit of like oh there's log lady you know or oh there's whoever like remember them kind of thing but largely like our principles i thought it was pretty cool how they wove them back in if you will into our story so uh what do you think of i guess this part of the film just the, the main twin peaks part of the movie well i think what's nice about this is that it really simplifies and centers the world Right, because there's so many characters, and I think the missing pieces add stuff that like expands that and whatever. But I think what is smart about this is that like again, it, it it's helpful to know the history, but like you're just you're kind of just learning four characters kind of and like their families. Like you're learning about the three Palmers kind of, and then Donna and Mike and Bobby, and like 
they're all just sort of through Laura. Like, this is really Laura's movie. And for a show that's really ostensibly about her that she never exists in because she's killed before the opening scene and she, you know, there's a couple flashbacks and whatever. And then, you know, she plays Maddie, the actress plays Maddie. Like, this is her time to shine. And I think it's it's interesting and, and special in that way that it's like the character that the show was about finally gets her chance to, you know, be at the, stu- the, the front of it, even though it's horrific what happens to her. Yeah, and you say horrific. If there's going to be a knock on this film for like a 2021 viewer, there is so much violence, but not just that. Like a lot of sexual assault in this movie as well. When I saw this movie the first time, I've seen this movie twice now. I saw it, you know, when I finished watching the series six, seven years or whatever, and then I watched it again this week. What is sort of strange is that this is what caught me off guard is that this, I feel like, is what David Lynch wants to do. And I think Twin Peaks, because it's on network television, especially in the early 90s, is like a censored or like a kind of like a, a lowered version of that. But like he he's known to blend violence and sex and, a, like a, you know, all that stuff and humor and just combine it in a way that like if you had seen Wild at Heart or Blue Velvet or, or Racerhead coming into this, like, you know, kind of what to expect. And like it's it feels jarring in the world of Twin Peaks, but not to David Lynch, the filmmaker, if that makes sense? Yeah, yeah, no, that does make sense. When you look at it from that perspective, that's a good call. I wasn't even thinking about how this was on network TV, which is insane to me, especially network TV in the early 90s. How different is it from the shows that were, I mean, our good friend Christian Larson could probably tell us what shows they ran in, you know, the year 1990 on ABC or whatever, but, but, uh, I can't even imagine how different this was than everything else on television at the time. And it's not even close to the level of his vision, which you're right, we get here and probably more or less in the Showtime show as well. Yeah. And like this leads to, like we were saying before, not only David Lynch, like weird knockoffs, imitators, whatever, but also shows that like, you know, Northern Exposure and whatever that are kind of like following this footsteps of just like sort of like off the beaten path, sort of weird towns or whatever, or like just kind of character based. It just it endures because it was so unique and special and did a thing that wasn't seen like what you're saying. Like it's just nothing else is like it on TV. And so it becomes its own, you know, everlasting thing. I mean, clearly today, the fact that we have spent most of this competition, like not literally talking about the movie, but just talking about the world in and outside of it. It's just a testament to what this show means to people and just how, how much there is really to talk about in that realm. But in, in regards to the film, like what appealed to you, maybe didn't, what what's interesting about this movie that, I don't know, you want to come on and talk about? I just like, I like making you watch things that you, maybe, maybe you otherwise wouldn't or that like, I'm always excited when I find a movie that I'm watching that I love anyway. And I'm like, oh, wait, I could actually, we could do it on High School Summer Party. <laughs> so I think that this is kind of that. I think, I you know... We talked about this a little bit last night, both off mic, but the show is so, so high school centric because there's so much time. There's so many characters, mm-hmm. more characters in the show than here that go to the high school. And there's so much time spent in the high school and it's around, you know, that's like maybe half the show. And here it's part of half the movie kind of, right? And so it's not necessarily reflective of like, I'm sure there's also more high school in this movie than there are in other movies you've covered, but to call it like a high school movie is kind of a stretch, but also not really. But I, I just like analyzing that kind of element of it. Yeah, look, and you can't 
talk about this film independently from the show and the fact that it does relate to those high school elements in the show and we get to see them here we get to see who we already mentioned the early relationships with james and mike you know and just kind of seeing that and seeing where they not started but where they were in this film and extrapolating that into the show that yeah i I definitely think this qualifies because it's again about uh laura palmer who was a high school student but also just twin peaks being this perfect town needs a perfect little high school you know sure and a perfect little high school subculture and the fact that it is the the homecoming queen who is murdered and how that affects the town when it's like prostitutes dying and and stuff like that no one gives a shit right but when it's the homecoming queen right everyone starts to care and that's something i love in the show and even in and not that we see the everyone starts to care part of this too uh, of, of this one but again it's an origin story so you know where it's building up to and, and yeah like I, I loved it i don't know i don't know like as weird as this movie was i was enjoying it and i was enjoying those elements of it i think um cheryl lee does a really 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 good job here i think she's she's awesome and the fact that like this movie more or less it becomes focused on her more than i think the series does ever yes it's always focused on her but you mentioned it before it's more of an ensemble like this is not necessarily an ensemble there's background characters but for most of the movie especially towards the tail end this is laura palmer's story and this is the fact that she's being you know sexually assaulted by her father um we get to see like you know what her mother's like and their interactions and just from like she's the pretty popular girl in school something i will say though in terms of what i enjoyed more in the show is just the unraveling like you said sure how like we didn't know that she had all this dark history if you want to call it that and we see it here like off the bat but it's still like a pretty awesome duality i think what's cool about the movie like i was saying before is that it it really puts lore at the heart of it because i think if you know one image from the show it's probably maybe like if you've never seen the show or maybe you do like you think about it like the homecoming queen like the 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 yearbook photo is probably what pops to mind and what's nice about both the show and the movie is showing what the what laura meant to the town and it's predatory in a lot of ways and like because like you're saying on the surface level it's like she's the pretty popular one she's you know she's got all these great friends she's got a boyfriend she's got you know family life you know families together all this different stuff whatever and then you start to peel the onion back a little bit you're like oh no this is all dark and insidious and like you know her therapist which i think i don't remember if that's in the movie or if that's just in the the missing pieces but like dr jacoby is like very much in love with her and like that's not healthy and like that should be like where she goes to feel safe and then like all these different guys in town just like want a piece of her Mm -hmm. either you know attention wise or sexually or whatever and to put that all on like a 17 or 18 year old girl is a lot and just to see the way that her life kind of crumbles and like the way that everything kind of unfolds when you see the way that like characters and their backstories and their ambitions and their motivations whenever interact with one another it's it's nothing but depressing but it's also kind of beautiful in a way that like feels because it feels real and it feels like this is a place where like actually people would you know in a sort of small i mean this town is also filled with beautiful people because it's all like cast by david lynch or whatever right but like (laughs) 
it's a small town sort of, you know, with not a lot going for it. And then there's this like magnetic, beautiful girl at the at the center of everything. And it's it's amazing just to see how it all interconnects and unfolds and just falls apart. So I think like we're kind of slowly answering my question of like, like, is it necessary to view this? Because like when I think of the show and I think of the you know unraveling of the Laura Palmer mystery, it's not always clear where this duality comes from, you know, like it's, oh, she's the perfect girl, but like, oh, she's also a bad girl, right? Like right. here, it, it doesn't look like she's just a rebel and that's why she does these things. Here you see very clear motivation for how these pressures on the 17-year-old and the fucked up shit that's happening in her life yeah. might lead her on this path. So just like Twin Peaks, I feel like we've also unraveled something here together. No, and I think I think that's important. I think that's the thing to keep in mind. You see a little bit in the show, but I think you see more clearly here. Like, why did she fall into, like, heavy drug use and, like, maybe drug dealing or at least, like, adjacent to drug dealing and prostitution and partying and, like, living this secret life, right? And it's because she's been being abused for seven years and there's all these societal pressures on her and these town pressures. And it just makes – it makes your heart ache for her because I think she's a she's – a t- she's an – object in the show right and here she's yes. a person so that's the difference she becomes real exactly and you see where that objective objectification is coming from and how it's coming from all sides because in the show and here but in the show more she's an object for the image that she portrayed yeah. as the homecoming queen and all of that and she's equally objectified like in the film by like these guys that i, I forgot what that place in canada is called uh well there's uh it it's jocks like there's there's jocks one eye jack who's not in the movie no um, it's not no, no, no. there's this there's the roadhouse that's what's that's what's interesting is that like this movie also kind of I'm I'm confusing myself because the movie kind of recontextualizes a few people like even though this is not wildly different time wise from the show a lot of these people are sort of in different ways like Leo is much more involved in the drug game here than he was you know you got a sense of in the show and it kind of understands like how characters interact but like there's like there's just you know I think there's like a, a north of the border Canadian prostitution ring at One-Eyed Jacks but then there's also this whole sort of underground CD kind of thing that's run by Jacques Renault and just yeah the the stuff that happens there with her friend and and the guys right like it's just how they're treating them and how there's that one point where she just kind of screams when her friend is being not assaulted, but just we're, I, yeah, Don, I mean, Donna is, you know, topless on a bar. Like, so yeah. with Laura, it just seems so casual. And that's what's depressing about it is that she just like accepts a, a wad of money and brings drinks over and just like here. This is these are the guys that I'm having sex with tonight. Right. This is just this is my night. Right. And then Donna follows her there and goes inside and. Because th- there's also the element here between their relationship that I think is, again, further expanded in the missing pieces, whatever, where Donna feels like she's not cool enough or daring enough to be with to be friends with Laura because Laura lives – and even though Donna doesn't know the extent of what Laura is doing, she knows that she's doing drugs and sleeping around and, like, got some other sinister stuff going on, whatever, right? And so Donna in the missing pieces and in the movie is trying to prove to Laura that she can hang. And yes. it's not really working. There's a deleted scene where, like, you know, they're all doing cocaine and Donna says no. And Laura, like, screams. Her. She's like, you're such a downer or something like that. And, like, you can just see Laura's frustration that, like, she wants to be friends with her friend but knows that she's drifting away 
through no fault of her own, kind of, who knows, right? But then in the scene where, you know, Donna is is topless in this bar, in this club, and is, you know, having a good time, Laura just sees, like, oh, no, I've corrupted my friend, and I can't, like, that seems almost, like, scare her straight in a way. Like, you know, like, it's almost like I can't do this to Donna. Like, I can't do this to myself in a way, I think. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah, no, and that, that's that's kind of what I meant, right? Like, when she sees Donna um, in that position, I think it harkens back to, I don't want to say purity, but, like, kind of more innocence. of the... Innocence. Innocence, yeah. yeah. Innocence. And she thinks that's what... She, I, I obviously didn't see the deleted scenes, but, like, she thinks, like, that's the world she should be in. And once she sees Donna in that position, it's like, oh, my God. And I thought the acting in that scene was just sensational with everyone in the scene because it's obviously a very fucked up thing what's what's going on but just the reactions there are i don't know it's kind of mesmerizing again i I, some of these scenes can be very difficult for people to watch could be triggering it's not the easiest watch in that sense but again cheryl lee just doing a fucking excellent yeah you also might want to put a content warning in the intro to this episode because, like, it is like a lot of his stuff, a lot of like David Lynch's stuff, and even like the regular Twin Peaks gets dark, but this is darker in a way, I think, because you don't really understand the depths to which, and like, not only do you understand it here, but like, you see it, and it's just like, oh God. And like, the realizations, like, just sort of, they always say that, like, you know, a thing is never as scary as like your mind makes it out to be, right? Like, why nightmares are so scary? Because like your, your your brain just runs a million miles an hour. But like here, this is almost worse because you like you you think that Laura in the show was into some dark stuff, and then here you're like, oh god, like this is almost worse than I ever like the the ease with which she's just doing all of this. It's like this is worse than I even imagined. So it's a uh, it's a lot. And I think uh, just to play devil's advocate, I could see some people saying. Again, did we need to see this? Maybe the imagination or what's left unsaid and unseen would have been better. I mean, I disagree because I enjoyed the film, but this 100% clarifies what the hell was going on with her. Whereas I think a lot of people who watch the show, from what I understand, um, just from talking with people about it, it was kind of, you know, like a mystery, right? Like, so, like you said, the movie got panned. I was trying to read why. Um, a lot of it was just because of stuff we were talking about. Like, if you walk into this without a context, I right. could see why this is not a great movie. And that was most of, like, why the movie was panned. And I think the other big thing is that this is not what people who knew a Twin Peaks movie was coming wanted. Right? They wanted more Cooper. They wanted more, like, a return to the town. Yes. They wanted more coffee and donuts. They did not want the seven days leading up to, like, the brutal death and killing of Laura Palmer. Uh, yeah, and, and the tone to me is different than the show. You know. Oh, it's way darker. I mean, the it's, show's dark, but like the show is also there's there's humor there, and there's there's some humor in the deleted scenes, and there's a okay. little bit of humor in the movie. But it's it, it's again, I said it at the top, like this is one of the darkest and most bleak movies that I've ever seen. Just because like, and there's nothing. It's not like it's not just like fucked up to be fucked. You know, like you know, like they're just like oh my, like this movie is like really messed up, man. It's like it's not that. It's just it's just heartbreaking. And it's just so bleak in that way because it feels like this poor girl. I feel so bad. Yeah, and I'm thinking like I know we're bouncing around here, but I, I keep thinking back to the fact that this was a show on ABC that people just were watching week to week. Not a lot of access to rewatch it, right? Like right. you can't you can't be like, huh? 
I didn't really get it. Let me do a Twin Peaks rewatch, right? So you saw what you kind of saw. I guess you could watch the reruns when they ran them in the summer or whatever. Or recorded on VCR, right? On yeah, your VHS on tape. V- VCR. And then say, hey, there's a Twin Peaks movie. Cool. You know? And you go to the theater to yeah. watch it. And yeah. this is what you get. This mm-hmm. dark, fucked up, you know, thing. Like, yeah, I can't even imagine what that was like. And especially, like, so these are characters we know, but also the, the, the weird thing to keep in mind is that we don't really see a lot of Cheryl Lee as Laura Palmer in the show at all. This mm-hmm. is a new Donna, and, like, they're the bulk of this. And so in a certain way, and I don't think this is necessarily fair to say, but I can see people being like, well, this is all new, right? Because it's like, we don't really see Laura in the flesh, and this is a new Donna, and, like, it's new interactions, and they, all the characters at the beginning are new. It's like this is not like it's almost I can see people saying this is like Twin Peaks in name only. I mean, it's not. And I don't I don't agree with that. But like I can see people making that argument. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, that's why to me, though, it's it's so freaking fascinating. This is such a fascinating movie in so many ways. Anything else, though, like uh, in the movie that you wanted to talk about? Uh, did you like how it ended? I mean, it's a weird thing to say, but I mean, I think it offers a kind of closure. Right. I mean, I don't like what happens in the end, no. but I like the ending because it brings it to it. Like it, it, it does what the movie sets out to do, right? It, it shows you the death of Laura Palmer and it's terrible. My only other thing that I would want to say about the movie and Twin Peaks as a whole is kind of the more work you do with it, the more rewarding it'll be. And I know that that's not for everybody. And I know that people are going to like, you know, like your wife, like understandably so, like get lost in the second. Like, I just don't see where this is going. I don't care. But if you watch and rewatch, and if you watch the movie and watch the deleted scenes, and then there's like, when The Return came out, there were two books, like the the history, the secret history of Twin Peaks or something. There was one that came out before and then one that came out after the show. And I was reading the book before it came out. And I'm like, or before the show came out, I mean, and I'm like, I don't know what, why do I care about this? But then like, as the show goes on, it's like, oh, now I get it. And then the book that comes out after the series puts a bow on things. And I know that that's not what people are going to want to do. They're going to want to spend an hour a week watching a thing and hopefully enjoy themselves and then move on, right? And just, you know, live their life. But for people who like want to, like, if there's something that like, calls you to the series and again i don't think that you're an hour into this podcast uh if you're not already a fan or you're never gonna watch it right like i don't know if people are like curious i I, I don't know who's here who needs to hear this but if you're interested if you're if you want to explore the show kind of you gotta put in the time which is both very cool and also i can see very frustrating yeah yeah i mean well put that's a great way for us to move on to our questions because you know the first question is always who was this movie made for? Would you like to answer, Joey? Fans of the show, I guess, even though they would probably say, not me. <laughs> I think I was going to say super fans of the show. Sure. Right? Like people who are really into it, not casual fans of Twin Peaks necessarily. Super fans of the show. And it's not also, as we made abundantly clear, not people who want to jump into Twin Peaks. This is not the jumping off point. No. At all. And also David Lynch super fans, right? Like, I mean, he has four or five movies out by this point. And so if you're into whatever he's doing that too all right some of these questions feel very weird i know this episode but most likely to succeed who won the movie which character comes out on top at the end of the film so i thought about this one because i'm watching i'm like oh nobody nobody wins uh this is all terrible but what i will say and i have an answer for this one is that i think special agent dale cooper wins because 
the events of this movie necessitate his arrival in Twin Peaks, and it's a town and a people that he falls in love with. And he goes through heartbreak, and there's tough times in there and whatever, but because of the overabundance of terrible things in this movie, uh, Cooper gets sent to Twin Peaks and falls in love with the town and the place. So even though he's barely in the movie, I don't think that anybody else comes out of this better than they went, they went in. <laughs> Oh, that's a silver lining, but yeah, I mean, I, there's no one, I can't... I mean, is there anybody that. that you could even make another argument for? No. Um, no I'm trying to think. No, I really... No, everybody's worse off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, Wooderson Award. And this is tough, too, because this is just part of a huge world. Right. It's what character who you would have liked to have seen more of. I think we, the little teases of characters here, we get more of in other media related to the Twin Peaks universe, but is there anyone here from the movie who were like, he's kind of cool. So just for me, I'm a big David Bowie fan. Sure. I know David Bowie said he was disappointed in what his role was in this. They kind of just like rushed him in and out. But I I love when David Bowie acts. He has a weird accent here, but I love when he acts. I would like to see more of the Bowie character. Cooper, meet the long lost Philip Jeffrey. I'm not going to talk about Judy. In fact, we're not going to talk about Judy at all. We're going to keep her out of it. I found something. Who do you think this is then? What the hell did he say there, Albert? That special agent Dale Cooper. For God's sakes, Jeffries, where the hell have you been? You've been gone down here two years. It was a dream. We lived inside a dream. And it's raining post-toasties. Hell, God, baby, damn no! I found something in Seattle at Judas. And then there they were. And they sat quietly for hours. I followed. There's more of him in the deleted scenes, but, like, one of the scenes is him just getting and checking into a hotel. It's like, I don't know, why, <laughs> what? And then there's, like, a little bit, I think, of a longer version when he comes in and he seems to be, like, in a stupor, right? And then, sort of, again, spoilers for the return, like, he becomes a teapot? Oh, yeah, I read that. <laughs> so that's interesting. I think what's difficult about this question is that because between, you know, the show and the movie and the missing pieces, like, I've seen so much of it. Like, I don't know that I need more, but I think what would help the movie, instead of a person, like, the Wooderson, what Wooderson brings to Days and Confused, I think if this movie had a little bit more humor mm. or, like, stuff to just cut the unrelenting bleakness, it would have worked. Like, there's a scene, there's a deleted scene where Jack Nance's character, Pete, uh, is at the lumberyard, and this ca- this customer comes up and is just, like, so mad that the two-by-fours he ordered are not two inches by four inches. And he's so, so mad. And he's like, well, they come in at two-by-four, and then we process them. And now they're not two-by-four. And the guy's like, oh. And, like, it's just, like, this dumb two-minute scene. But it doesn't fit in this movie. I don't know where you would have put it. But, like, it's stuff like that where it's just like, oh, this is the Twin Peaks that I know, right? As opposed to just... Oh, God, like more cocaine? All right. (laughs) 
Yeah, no, that's a really good call. I like that. Smart way. But I, I also agree with you that the Bowie character. Long Duck Dong Award. Is there a character whose omission would make the film better? Or it could be abstract again. I don't think so. I think you need everything here. I think I don't know what to cut out. Do you? Hard to say because look, they cut out so much stuff, right? And yet it was re-added back in and fans enjoyed it. So Sure. <laughs> uh Cameron Fry Award. Did anyone look too old to be a high schooler? Everybody and nobody? Like, they all kind yeah, of look the exactly. same age, but they also all kind of look like 22. I don't know. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's just, it's not really applicable for this movie because it's not really grounded in a kind of realish world, so. Right, like, we, I was saying to you last night that Blue Velvet is also kind of sort of a high school movie because Laura Dern's character in that is in high school. And she looks like a high schooler there, but she doesn't look wildly different. I don't think she looks wildly younger in that than these characters do here. And it's also weird is that, like, Again, it's not a huge jump in time. Like, it's not like four or five years later, but like, this comes after the show. And so they were a couple of years younger when they did that. And like, they were like more high schooly then. So they're in the ballpark. I don't think it's, I don't think it's, you know, it doesn't necessarily look great, but it's also not, you know, I don't think yeah. it's offensive. Yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm with you there. Um, all right. First grade of our senior year, handy that, that Manila report card. You know we grade on an A-plus to F-scale here on High School Slumber Party, just like the teachers of yore. Uh, cheat sheets, though. Rotten Tomatoes, 64% by the That's critics. That's higher than I would have thought. Okay. Rotten Tomatoes takes into account the critics, what they originally said, but also like modern critics today, gotcha. I believe. Okay, okay. So you know if we like... Did the Rotten Tomatoes in like the sure. 90s, in theory, would have been a lot lower than this. 78% by the audience. And there are a lot of audience ratings here. 25,000 plus. way higher than I thought, too. But, yeah. okay. I was surprised. But, again, who's watching this movie? Twin Peaks fans. Like, no one's just scrolling through Cinemax. It pops up and you're like, cool. You know? I doubt right. that. Letterbox, Your friends over at Letterbox, Joey. 4.0 out of 5, yeah. which is a super high score as well. I know. I'm, I'm, I imagine David Lynch is popular with the Letterbox crowd, but it's it's David Lynch is also just like I feel like what Twin Peaks embodies is just kind of core to Letterboxd, right? Like it's the oh, I'm smart enough to understand this kind of thing, right? Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. Uh, so I, I was uh, speaking with my good friend and guest of former guest of the podcast Jenny O'Connell recently and she's like oh what movie are you doing soon and i mentioned this and she's a big twin peaks fan she was log lady for halloween okay cool and we were talking about it a little bit and i'm like yeah i really need to get into this world a little bit more and she's like brian just go to every bar in brooklyn with dudes something along these lines (laughs) just go to every bar in brooklyn with dudes and just mention twin peaks twin peaks and like people will come out of the woodwork to talk about it you know and that's kind of the letterbox crowd i feel like as well sure (laughs) but these are high scores higher than i think not that it merits, because I don't want to say that because I enjoyed it, but higher than I think if we, you and I went to a ball game today, Mets Yankees playing the day we're recording, right? And, and we just like paused everything, stopped the room, stopped the ballpark, and we're like, hey, watch this movie, and then pulled everyone after. There's no way it would get this score. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, Well, no, but I also think that Letterboxd as a community is not going to a baseball game, right? Exactly, like, exactly. Yeah, a different no. thing. But I also don't to, – to that point, I don't think 78% of the crowd enjoys it. No. Ex- no, exactly. I don't think – this is such a niche film and such a niche world that it's really hard to pull from this. So take take our scores with a grain of salt, slumberers. But, Joey, let's cut the bullshit. A plus <laughs> to F. What will you grade Twin Peaks Firewalk with me? 
Ah, I don't know if I've ever given an A plus. I don't, I don't know that I have. Maybe I don't know. I think I gotta go an A though. I gotta go solid. Like it's just you know I'm deep in the world of Twin Peaks and and Lynch right now, and I think it's just I think it's great, and I understand that this is very much not for everybody, but I just think that it's uh, incredible. So I uh, I gave it a B plus only because I am not in that world right now. I think if I was in the world, I would give it an A plus, but the B plus exceeded my expectations tremendously even after you know i did that first watch i didn't think i would be giving this a b plus you know um i had to kind of be in the right mindset i think again if for a twin peaks fan it's probably an a if i did a, a watch soon it's probably an a the only thing that i'm knocking for off of it is you can't jump into this cold turkey that's not its intention sure yeah 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 but you know i'm just trying to grade on like somewhat of a scale it doesn't matter doesn't matter anyway you know how the grading works on high school slumber party it's forgotten in a week so <laughs> that's awesome though i'm glad you enjoyed it too because since you just recently did your rewatch that means that it's important to the show so again, yeah answering that question for sure <laughs> this should be good because such a visual visual movie what does your twin peaks sleeping bag look like if you and i are having a twin peaks fire walk with me slumber party I think it's got to be something with the red room with like the either the white and the black floor pattern or just the red curtains. If you're doing for the show, I think something centered around wood or coffee and donuts or whatever makes sense. Or even the, the Twin Peaks pattern like the, the on the ring kind of makes sense. But here, I think it's got to be the red room. Maybe it's like halfway up. It's like the, the, the black and white sort of wavy lines. And then above it's the, the red curtains. So I think that's where I'm going with something to embody the weirdness and the, the man from another place and Laura Palmer there and everything. And just, yeah. What about you? What, what are you nestling up in? Uh, no more beach towels. Only sleeping bags. now. Only sleeping bags now, at least till next summer. So if it was show and I know log lady is in this, but I would, I would just have like the log, you know, a sleeping bag that oh, looks like yeah. a log. And I think it cool. looks good. But I want to do, because of Laura Palmer, like you said, that iconic yearbook photo. I just want a big, like, tessellation of that sleeping bag. Ooh, so, love that. Just a bunch of them. I think those are both cool designs. So that's what I'm going to go with because cool. we're more for the movie here. All right, Joey. My favorite question every week. You know it. Yep. The magical blockbuster that defies space, time, logic, Whatever, you and I were having this Twin Peaks Firewalk with me slumber party. We go to our local blockbuster, our magical blockbuster, and we, we go to the front, and we see a sign that says, Rent Two Movies, Get One Free. And I say, Joey, in addition to Firewalk with me, go to the back. I'll save our place in line. Retrieve two other movies that we're going to watch tonight. We're having a full slumber party. What are those two other movies? So one is kind of a technicality, but also works because the pilot for Twin Peaks is like 90 minutes long. But for international audiences, there's like a two-hour cut that wow. they added 15 or 20 or 25 minutes, something like that, of extra footage to kind of give it like a, a closure. Like they bring things from later, like episodes like three and four or whatever, and then to the pilot. So like the, the pilot is great as it is. And the international pilot is even more sort of complete and sort of self-sustaining. So I think in a way – and I don't know the order – but I think watching Fire Walk With Me and the international pilot for Twin Peaks on the same night is a lot, but also makes a lot of sense. And then I was also thinking about other movies that sort of fit mood, genre, tone, whatever, and also about like Homecoming Queens. And I thought Carrie. I mean, I guess it's prom queen or you know prom night or whatever, but like 
I think Carrie would sort of fit aesthetically and the mood of this evening. Yeah, that's a good choice. I agree with that. I love it. I thought you were just going to be like, Twin Peaks Season 1, Twin (laughs) Peaks Season 2. I'm like, no, lazy. No, those are good choices, definitely. Yeah, Carrie definitely fits in this world. Even the colors and stuff. Yeah, 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 for sure. And I think that they're, you know... De Palma and Stephen King and whatever, they're not necessarily of a type with David Lynch, but like in the same kind of like, I can see them being like admirers of one another's work. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, Joey, thank you so much for inviting me to the town of Twin Peaks and, and letting me in. I think I might do a rewatch when I get a little time. Um, even though I said that this is not a good jumping off point, I feel like our conversation was. So I appreciate that. I hope, uh, You know, I hope we did the Twin Peaks fans out there some justice. Um, Any other final thoughts or anything you want to plug? Maybe from Too Fast, Too Forever? I think I'm going to be recording some episodes soon there. You sure are. I I just want to echo that I hope that we did the the show and the movie and the fandom some kind of credit, you know, know, some kind of justice. Because I know that I'm I'm definitely a fan, but I'm not as super devoted as other people are. So I know that other people could have come on here and spoken much more eloquently about you know, the world and everything, but I think we did a pretty okay job. Uh, but yeah, Too Fast, Too Forever every Tuesday. Tomorrow's episode, as this comes out, is going to be our 200th. It's going to be F9 for the fifth time with Heather Antos. And then, yes, you're coming on for a couple times. I think one, no, I don't think either is a Patreon episode, but there's you're going to be on for a main core installment in the franchise and also a Pit Stop movie. But this, this lap, we're doing all modern car movies, all car movies that have come out since 2001. So you're going to be on one of those and one of the main Fast and Furious movies, both in, I think, early to mid-October. So uh, slumberers, keep your eye on, I'm sure you'll also mention it on here, but keep your eye on Too Fast, Too Forever every Tuesday for Brian's two appearances this lap on uh, Too Fast, Too Forever. I almost said on High School Slumber Party, but this <laughs> show, different show altogether. As much as I like and want to be on the main feed, you got to get me on a Patreon. So oh, I know, I know, I know, I know. Behind the paywall, because, you know, things get a little bit, things get a little bit, uh... I don't know, personal behind the payroll. After dark. After dark, yes. Too fast, too forever, after dark. So, I don't know. Maybe we'll watch all of John Cena's matches, ever. I don't think so, but okay, (laughs) you can keep going. That's the that's the Brian lap. If you do the uh, what is it, hundred dollars or two, whatever, fifty dollars a month. Yeah, that's you know, if you want to do a John Cena lap, sure, by all means. The only way, like besides that, the only way I would like strong arm you that I think it would be necessary for the show, if. For whatever reason, they're swerving us, and The Rock comes back, and there's a Rock John Cena scene. Because then I'd be like, oh, it's important to watch like, oh, yeah, their big sure. WrestleMania match. Otherwise, it's like not necessary at all here. But, yeah, I mean, that would be like, come on, you couldn't avoid it. That I agree. All right, Joey, have a good one. And, again, you know, we, we wish you uh I don't know. I'm trying to think of a good way to say goodbye to guests this senior year because remember, senior year is about like signing that yearbook, right? The Hags. Ma- <laughs> uh, best wishes. <laughs> Forever in our hearts. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. All right, Joey. Thanks. Bye. Huge shout out and thank you to Joey Lewandowski. We can't wait to have the Godfather on the podcast again. So hope he's doing okay. And yeah, I know we started your senior year off a little bit hot and heavy in a sense that, like, this was not just a movie you pop in on, as I said a million times in this episode. This was a movie that probably required some extra homework. Maybe I should have told you at the end of the summer, so sorry, at the beginning of the summer, so that by the end of the summer, you could have watched all of Twin Peaks and caught up 
like Joey. I should have done that, frankly. But I hope it was enjoyable to you. It was a really fun episode. So, yeah. Again, if you got a problem, I'm going to say it one more time. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. That's where you could find me, High School Slumber Party. Say it in public. Slide into my DMs. I don't care. Or if you like the show, I'll take compliments, too. Compliments are always welcome. So we go from the complex to the less complex, but it's still a part of a series because your homework for Friday is the first of our high school reunion series. Yeah, we're going to be talking films that don't necessarily take place in high school, but are about friends who come back to their old towns or come back to high school. It's high school adjacent. It's a little way for us to celebrate our senior year here. I guess thematically we should have done it after we graduated, but yeah, you know what? I just want to talk these movies now, so stop critiquing me. <laughs> and I don't know if you've heard this guy on High School Slumber Party. I'm not so sure. Supposedly he's been on hiatus. Supposedly he's been busy. But he's the foodie films man, Kyle Reinfried. Yes, he's back on the mainland. And it just so happened that he's in this series as well. Just for one movie so far, though. Don't worry if you're sick of him. So Kyle will be here. And another High School Slumber Party favorite, Cousin Pumpkin. Together in the same room, what could possibly, possibly go wrong? It's pumpkin spice latte season. Is it pumpkin, cousin pumpkin season? I don't know. <laughs> anyway, the movie is American Reunion. Hello, my old friends. I thought about throwing them out, but uh, they just have too much sentimental value. Well, you know, it seems like only yesterday when I bought these for you. Boy, these pages are all stuck together here. You guys are here for the reunion, huh? Hey, Kevin, is that what I think it is on your face? Oh, come on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shim? You don't remember me, do you? It's been a long time since I needed a babysitter. Kara? It's my 18th birthday tomorrow. You should come to my party. Oh, uh... Please, that I want you to come so bad. Let's make this weekend our bitch. Let's get a little lit. You better be ready. You better be ready. Let's the senior wish list. Remember, we all had to write about our future. Chris Ostriker hopes to find true love. Queer chick. Who's this douche? My boyfriend. You two are banging, and you two used to bang. <laughs> this must be awkward for all of you. <laughs> Steven Stifler hopes to keep the party going with his boys. There's a smoking hot 18-year-old girl that used to babysit. I'm not going to cheat on my wife. I'm a father now. Be her daddy. Jim Levenstein hopes to have the sex life of... Ricky Martin. <laughs> You're probably having more sex than any of us. <laughs> probably. High school was awesome. What we had was special. Then we graduated and started getting jobs and getting married and having kids and all that other stupid stuff. None of our lives are perfect, but no matter what we're going through, we'll always be there for each other. Were we just as obnoxious as these kids back in the day? No, our generation was definitely more mature. What are you doing? I'm gonna throw up. You know, Dad, it's been three years. Think maybe it's time for you to get back out there? Who might you be? I'm Stifler's mom. Oh, I'm Jim's dad. American Reunion. I have not had a night like that since the 70s. Don't need this. You'd be surprised what you can do with a well-placed thumb. 
So that's your homework. Watch American Reunion. Listen on Friday, wherever you get your podcasts, or at cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. I don't think you have to watch all the other American Pie movies. Familiarity with the first one, at least, will help. But yeah, maybe I'll watch them all. Who knows? One more thing I want to let you know about. Life, as always, moves pretty fast. And if you don't stop to look around once in a while, you could miss it. Later, dudes. It's over. Go home. Go.